Hey guys, Montel here, and thanks so much for tuning in to this edition of Let's Be Blunt with Montel. And our guest today is a passionate cannabis advocate, researcher, and entrepreneur with almost two decades of cannabis experience under her belt. She's an executive director, the executive director of the Illinois Chapter of Normal, and the founder of Margowana, a blog and brand that provides digestible cannabis education. Through the blog, she shares her wellness journey along with tips on how to build a self-empowering mindset and how to be an entrepreneur in a cannabis landscape. Margot Vaselli, welcome to Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you so much, Montel. It's an honor to be here. Like I was telling you before, I have been watching you ever since I was a little kid, and this is just, I'm starstruck right now. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Well, thank you so much. But you know what? I'm a little starstruck myself because, you know, you have accomplished so much since you got into this cannabis space. Can you talk a little bit about what it's been like to be one of the female leaders, one of the female industry leaders in cannabis? Yeah, it's been a pleasure and just a beautiful experience to be able to evolve in this industry. I remember, you know, using cannabis when I was in my teens and hearing about Amsterdam evolving into this legal industry. And I thought we will never get to that point. And lo and behold, it's happening now. Well, let's back up to those teen years. About when do you think was your first, your first experience with cannabis? Oh, I, I remember it. I was about 13 years old and I asked my mm. friend to teach me how to use. <laughs> right. And of course, they, they willingly did so, right? <laughs> yes, yes. And, you know, honestly, if it weren't for cannabis, I don't know where I would be now. Uh, thankfully, that friend and I were always very close tied with cannabis. But I've seen lots of other classmates of mine go down into different paths. And a lot of them started off with prescriptions, too. So, you know, that we were blessed to be able to use this as our therapy during these sure. hard, I, difficult I, times. Yeah. but I, and, now, and, and I think, though, if you're looking back at age 13 when you started, did you, did you ever think that you would use this as this industry to be your profession? Never, ever. I didn't even see it as a uh, medicine at the time. And when people started evolving with these medicine uh, theories, I still didn't believe it. But I do recall when I was going through some issues that were very hard on my psyche, my soul, and I would just be consuming cannabis by myself and just almost like talking to Mother Earth, a the plant, you know, my mother, Mary, marijuana, it was being there as a guidance and as someone or a plant that was giving me the coping mechanisms that I needed to deal with all these life changes. Mm -hmm. And you started sharing some of your experiences on your blog and things like that. Is that what happened? Yes. So that is where this blog is coming out from. Uh, my background is that I, my father had had a mental breakdown and attempted to kill my mom. He shot her. Mm. And I was the only witness to that. Oh, my and God. I'm sorry. Thank you so much. Um, as a result, he went into prison. And my mom, who didn't speak English, we were left homeless. And, you know, that's a difficult life to be leading down. And after that, we luckily got Section 8. And even though people think that this is, this is just a hand-me-out, it was really a blessing for us, but we felt so ashamed of it too. 
And in order for us to be able to move forward in a positive manner, cannabis was there for me. And that's what I'm sharing through my story on my blog right now. And how old were you when you went through all this? So the incident happened when I was nine years old. Oh my goodness. And then about, uh, was 13 when we got the section eight. So it was just at that same path timeline. Gotcha. And then you went ahead and graduated from high school, but now uh, tell me a little bit about what your path has been before you literally became the head of Illinois state normal organization. Yeah. So this is, it's amazing to look back and make all the connections in my life because, because of what happened to my father, I had felt so inclined to go into the judicial system because there's a whole nother story with that, but I felt like I needed to pursue this passion. And I went into school, went into college to pursue political science, came out and worked on a couple of political campaigns. And every time I had the opportunity to be in a candidate's ear, I would always share the resources or any kind of information that could benefit them to be able to understand what the plant's potentials and the benefits could be. And as and this, this is this is two two campaigns that you were supporting. Uh, these were candidate campaigns in the state of Illinois. Okay. Mm-hmm. And uh, my my primary candidate was a state senator, and he saw that the legal market was evolving here in the cannabis industry. And alongside the time, I was also doing a hobby where I would make gummy bears. So obviously, you know, there's a, a pairing there. And he said, why don't you go and jump into the industry? And I jumped in headfirst. But it was no easy fiat either. Uh, it took me some time. Didn't get a response for a few months. A response to your product, you mean? A response to my application. It's really hard to get into the industry, Mm -hmm. as you can all tell right now. Uh, You know, my friend was like, why don't you go on LinkedIn and reach out to some people that work there and see if you can get yourself more in front of their face. So that's what I did. And I didn't get a response either on LinkedIn, but I eventually got a phone call saying, hey, we'd like to interview you. And you went to work at the, what was your first position in the cannabis space? Yes. So Cresco Labs was the the MSO that, you know, brought me in. And I started off at the lowest part of the totem pole. It was a packaging, just labeling packaging. That's all I did. But I worked my butt off to show them that I had really good work efficacy. And they saw this. They gave me an opportunity to uh, move into the trimming department to work on the plant itself. And they saw that I was even working harder and harder. So they figured that, you know, I'd be a good full-time employee. And when they approached me about that idea, I instantly was like, hey, if there's ever an opportunity to work in edibles, I would love to work there. So they tested mm-hmm. me out, and it was a perfect fit. Wow. So you started developing out Cresco Labs' edible products? Yes, under Mindy Siegel's, uh, Mindy's Kitchen, if you're familiar with that. Okay. Wow. And now what do you do? What, and then, then from there, what, keep telling me about you know, your progression. Sure. sure, definitely. So, you know, that kind of is where the moment that normal came into my life, too. I've already known about normal, but I wasn't really familiar with all the activism that they were doing. Mm-hmm. And at this point in time, I, the state of Illinois was only medical. It wasn't recreational. And Normal was sharing that they wanted to do a lobby day in our state's capital. So I asked my manager, hey, can I go and lobby with them? And I got a big no. Uh, 
that was something that was kind of concerning to me. And after that happened, I started opening up my eyes. The honeymoon phase was over. I started noticing that the culture was not as beautiful as I had thought in hindsight. So um, things started evolving and I started getting a deeper understanding of where this corporate cannabis life culture is standing. And I didn't feel aligned with it. I wanted a different lifestyle. So, and, and I guess that that it, it's caught a lot of people off guard because initially when cannabis started across the country and it started, you know, going and breaking into states, you know, almost never the twain should meet between the medical and the, you know, adult use sides. And then all of a sudden, then people started realizing how uh, big the adult use side was turning. And now it's almost like they are completely linked at the hip, right? Yeah, definitely. So at the time, I was offered a position to be able to uh, uh, do a different formulation for a different company. So I, I saw the sign that I needed to forge off into another path. So I did. And normal came back into my life when there was an executive director position availability opening up. And I figured, hey, I have the political background, I have the cannabis background, might as well put this together and actually fight for the people that are in the legacy market that deserve an opportunity in this industry as well. So that's where I'm at right now. And and, and what's been the reaction in the state of New uh, Illinois? I mean, when you, when you look at you know, the, the legacy market and you look at the fact that right now so many are trying to, you know, put together equitable programs and depends on what, you know, that, that term is so loosely used because we don't know what real equity is in this entire industry. But I mean, what do you think the reaction is to the people in the state of Illinois when it comes to equity programs and to, you know, the legacy market? The reaction. Um, well, as I'm sure you know, we had we were supposed to be setting the precedent with the social equity licenses rollout that was supposed to happen last year, but it's really come to light that there was a lot of shady business happening, and uh, things were not rolled out the way that they were supposed to be. MSOs and big corporate cultivators saw an opportunity to use the legacy market as a way to gain even more licenses for their own benefit. And that's not how it was supposed to happen. So it is shocking to a lot of people, but it's also Illinois. We're known to be one of the most corrupt uh, states in the country. So it's not that surprising either, but I still feel like there's a lot of opportunity to be had, whether it is with the official licenses or not, there's still so much that you can do in this industry. Mm -hmm. And so now, what is your day to day? What what are you what are you working on as the head of normal? What are you working on in the state of Illinois on a daily basis? Yeah, so we were talking about that. There's a lack of education, and if there is education available, whether it's through these conferences or expos or a company like Greenflower, it costs a lot of money for people to be able to access that. And on top of, you know, getting your own medical uh, card, if you're going to be going down that route, or just even getting the products at the dispensaries are way overpriced too. This is just an added on cost. And someone like me who came from Section 8 homelessness, I can't afford this. So 
it was like a shine of light came into my life when I was given the opportunity to volunteer at Women Grow, which is a huge conference that happens usually in Colorado, but they've been before COVID, we're branching off to different states and they encourage and empower women to be able to find mentors and partnerships within these organ, uh, conferences. And that moment, Tommy Chong's wife was on stage talking about, you know, education, the same thing that we're talking about here. And I broke down crying, just thinking that this is going to be life-changing for me and my family. So going from there, I started visiting all different kinds of conferences like NCIA, Emerald Green, even, you know, events that were happening in Illinois. And the more that I gathered, I figured, hey, why can't I be the one to share this information to the people for free? <laughs> gotcha. So that's where, that's where your blog is coming from? Yes. And did you not recently just start a brand new brand of uh, gummies for yourself or you created a brand new brand? Is that right? A brand of gummies? Um, well, I don't know. Well, tell me about Margowana. Brand. Okay. Oh, so that's, yes, that is definitely the new and up and coming thing that I want to share with everyone just to even spark ideas out there to be able to figure out, you know, new things that you can approach with this cannabis plant, but not having to be touching the plant. So we have these terpene mist sprays that are uh, labeled as their strain names. So we have Grape God, Jack Herrera, and these are mist sprays that don't have THC, they don't have CBD, they don't have any of the cannabinoids. They just smell like the plant. And this is really great for your masks that we now have to wear for COVID reasons. If you spray a little bit inside of there, it calms your mood. But there's also a little bit of witch hazel that helps avoid those skin irritations and mask me that you may get from wearing your mask for too long. But Benefit of this is really when you complement it with CBD or any kind of cannabis use, you get an added boost of confidence and calmness while you're using it too. And those terpenes are food grade terpenes. They're actually cannabis derived. So cannabis or hemp derived. Yes. Yes. Hemp. Both. Both. Yeah. And there are terpenes that are out there that are botanically derived, but those ones are really good compliments for skincare line products but this is there's another there's a whole new world within this cannabis essential extract so that's why i chose to go this route and now there those are being marketed across the country because if they're not hemp or cannabis you could sell them anywhere right correct yes they're legal to cross state lines as long as there's no thc above the legal limit of three percent you know you're you're safe to sell CBD even, but uh, uh, these don't have either one of those cannabinoids in there. So you're safe to bring that out anywhere. And I hope this sparks interest or sparks creativity in your listeners to think outside the box, to see what ways you can implement something like this within your business strategy too. Absolutely. Well, you know, I, we, we were talking about it before we came on air about, you know, I've been very, very concerned, you know, from day one about the fact that you know, though this industry did a great job pre-COVID in holding forums all over the country that were, I consider, more B2B, business-to-business forums, showing people how to get into business and those kinds of things. But we've done, I think, really a really piss-poor job at educating the masses. 
I mean, the majority of people in this country don't even know that you have an endocannabinoid system and don't even know what that endocannabinoid system is. Doesn't know how it's antagonized, doesn't know how it's affected by cannabis or hemp, CBD, other cannabinoids. Most people don't even know that there's more than just the two cannabinoids that we talk about. You know, uh, you know, uh, if you, you look at some of the science out of Canada, they say there's 160 plus. There may be closer to 200. There may be closer to 210. Um, and then we literally have to look at the action, the interaction between the cannabinoids, the terpenes, the flavonoids, you know, the fats, the lipids. We are just barely scratching the surface of this. How do we get people to understand that, you know, we need to spend as much time educating the masses who are our consumers about the viability of all the different component parts and all the different ways that cannabis can help over just educating the other business people. I completely agree with you. And, you know, the way that I approach this is that we share our stories because that's when we get to the heartstrings of the people. And uh, that is where I'm taking marijuana next. We have a podcast mm -hmm. in development that's also going to be a video series where we, we educate and break down the science, like Bill Nye, the science guy, by mm -hmm. really breaking this information down so that everyone can understand it and apply it easily too. Because even the science goes over my head and I love the science behind this, but it can be overwhelming at times. So just being crafty with that. And I don't know if you've seen Weed the People with Mara Gordon on Netflix. She, uh, I've I've caught it. I think. I, yeah. Did I see that or not? I'm, I'm good. I'm sorry. No worries. Um, she also, you know, highlights her patients. She was an engineer, so not even a doctor or a nurse, but she saw the 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 benefits of this plant and decided to take her engineer experience in collecting the data on with the patients that she's working with. You know, what's their dose? What kind of uh, terpenes are benefiting them? What cannabinoids are, are needed to be increased in ratio? So she shared that information to DW Pharmaceuticals, just to add that. But um, her stories are what captivating people. You know, you see this, this show and you're just like, wow, I'm so moved by it. I want to be a part of it. And Thinking back to last year when I started this blog, that is why I started the blog, is I wanted to get people understanding that it's not just black and brown people living off of Section 8. I'm here too. Um, you know, we had the protest ha protests happening in June with uh, the Floyd, uh, you know, killing. And at that time, I just became the executive director. And I thought that this would be a great opportunity to educate the masses on the real history of marijuana, because a lot of people, cannabis consumers, all alike, they know, you know, well, sorry, I should backtrack. Most cannabis consumers know the history, not all. And if not all the cannabis consumers know it, beyond that, I'm sure that people don't know the whole real history of this plant. I would so, tell you, the majority of cannabis consumers don't know enough about the history of the plant, to be honest with you. Honest with you. I mean, they think they do, they talk about it a little bit, but they don't understand that, you know, things as basic as the fact that cannabis and hemp is what actually built America. Most people don't talk that far back. All of our forefathers grew hemp. All of our forefathers probably consumed hemp. Uh, it was natural to be consumed back in the 1700s here. Every ship that set sail to the United States of America made it here because they were using hemp for sails, hemp for ropes. 
Our entire revolutionary army was clothed in hemp. Most people don't even know that. They can't even think of the history. And I mean, I, I said it in one of my last uh, podcasts, you know, if it was good enough for the baby Jesus, it was good enough for everyone. Most people don't even know that it was one of the plants that was presented to the baby Jesus. You know, so we, 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 we don't even scratch the surface of knowledge. And, you know, then the fact of the matter is most people don't know that the, the U.S. government has funded most of the research on cannabis that even took place in Israel 30, 40 years ago. We're the reason why we've identified Dr. Mishulam was funded enough to be able to identify the endocannabinoid system. So, you know, it, 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 it's imperative, I think, that we, especially right now, especially when we have time to do so, that we start making education the biggest priority in cannabis. And the money's there. It's going to be there. It's going to always come. It's going to be, you know, once we figure it out and states figure out, then take a look at what just happened in the state of New York. The state of New York is going to pass, you know, a bill. That, and once New York passes, the rest of the country is going to follow and those that are left out and left behind because nobody wants to lose out on being able to rape an industry to get more tax dollars. Uh, but eventually, what we've got to be able to do is educate people enough to make them understand that the prices don't have to be as high as they are. We don't have to be you know, abusing people because they're looking for a plant-based medicine. Um, you know, we don't abuse people and jack up the prices of vitamin C, vitamin D, vitamin E, or A. Why are we jacking up the price of this thing, which is no more than a, a nutraceutical? So, you know, the more and more education that we can put into the marketplace, I think the better we will be as an industry. I love that you brought up Jesus. I, 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 my background, I'm Czechoslovakian, so that's like part of our culture. I'm not as following as they are, but, you know, I brought it up to my mom. What do you think was Jesus's oil when he was anointing the blind and making them see again? You know, there had right. to be some kind of correlation there. But yeah, yeah the education the, is the, Let's look into what do the three wise men bring, incense, frankincense, and myrrh. Remember, frankincense is kind of like that kind of a plant that is close relative of cannabis. So, you know, if the three wise men, they weren't trying to poison the baby Jesus, they were coming to give him gifts. They were coming to make it. And why? Because cannabis burned as incense in a tent with a colicky baby would calm a baby down from crying and coughing. Come on. It's just stupidity that we've, we've literally turned this into an evil that was never meant to be an evil. And uh, we've hit where we are today. So now we've got to reeducate people and make them understand. Yeah. And we, we are serving. We're getting our karma for having that happen. Because why do we see all these anxieties happening and more and more conditioning conditions coming out? So, you know, your wellness is the first foundation that you need to take care of. And if you don't have your wellness taken care of, then you have anxieties that come up. And if you don't take care of those anxieties, then inflammation is the next step. And if that's not taken care of, then you're going to have serious conditions. And once you're at that point, it's harder to go back and try to fix what's already been damaged. But, you know, that is, just for certain people, but there's also a generational change in our genetical makeup that has happened from taking this plant out of our ecosystem. You know, having these plants growing in the wild, it grabbed all the bad stuff from the air, the toxins from the air and the soil, and it harnessed it and it changed the carbon into things that benefit us. So we are really doing ourselves a huge damage by keeping this illegal for so long, but it's always a political game. Yeah, and, and so, you know, let's talk a little bit more about, you know, what you face in politics being, you know, the the president of normal in Illinois. What are you facing right now? What's going on in Illinois? Are they trying to fix their broken system? You know, I jumped in at the beginning 
of COVID. So it was right before COVID hit. So I thought it was going to be a lot easier than it's been. And uh, one thing is the education. I want to educate the people and empower them with their consumer rights, that they should be demanding for certificates of analysis to prove that their product is actually, in fact, true and clean. But I'm getting a lot of pushback with this. And it's been very interesting to me and you know the people that were on my board that are cannabis consumers too, that they're pushing back on this. Why? Push back from industry representatives on COAs? I have a feeling that you know some people are involved more so in the industry and that's why there's so much pushback. But this is common in the West Coast. Have you have you ever asked for a COA? Oh, I I I, I wouldn't touch I don't touch a product unless I know exactly what's in it, period. And unless it's been tested uh, by a third-party testing, not, uh, there's no reason for me to put it in my body. You know, there's so much fake product in the marketplace, especially when it comes to CBD being sold around the nation. And there's so many products that are still – I'm shocked sometimes when I go into a dispensary and find out that somebody's still using BHA or B, I'm sorry, um, butane as an, as an extracting accelerant, which is really just crazy. Why would I – Put be you know a uh, butane in my body, um, and and then tell me that you believe that it was tested in a in a third party testing way, and that all of the butane was extracted. I don't believe that. So you know I I literally I don't touch a product unless I know where it, where it came from and can look through its entire lineage. I'm really happy to hear that because a lot of people in our state don't understand that, and I think that's why I'm getting the pushback is that there's fear that, you know, they're not going to be allowed into the industry if they are, you know, pushing for this kind of stuff. But this is necessary. This is a need that we need to have. But there are states like Arizona that don't have any testing at all still. So we are a little bit ahead, but we still need to push for this knowledge to be put out there. Well, Arizona doesn't have state-required testing, but there are several of the I think some a lot of the dispensaries out there put products on the shelves that are third party tested, correct? Yeah, they're third party tested. But I'm working with scientists out there that they're finding a lot of faults that they're, you know, negligence within their testing too. So it can happen. Right. What what kind of advice would you give somebody who's trying to break into the business? Especially in Illinois. I mean, the advice that I always give is be persistent, don't give up. And see what you're working on right now in your everyday, day-to-day life and ways that you can implement that into the cannabis industry. Mm-hmm. And now, again, tell me a little bit about your upcoming blog. Or are you doing your blog now? So can I tell you one thing that is pretty big that's happening? And this is where I think most of the pushback is happening with everything that I have going on. So one prong that we're dealing right now with marijuana and Illinois, we're educating. We want to empower the people to know what they are supposed to be asking for and looking out for. And that is every month we have a COA education event. And I hope to get all the rest of the states on board to be able to work with us too. Next month or this month, we actually have uh, Mara Gordon coming out and she's going to talk about what I was telling you about earlier in this episode. But uh, the other part of this initiative is to go to these dispensaries and request the COAs. And if we don't get COAs, or we do, we take a sample of product, and then we submit that product to a few labs and get the results back. 
and we're going to be comparing this data and submitting this out to the public and uh, publicizing this. So we're really excited about that. But it's also some pushback because it's understandable that, you know, there's going to be something that we find out. We already are, are aware of that. But it was just how do we approach it? That's what we're trying to figure out right now. Well, I mean, I think, you know, that's that's the one thing. If, if in fact, we don't start self-policing and testing our products, that's the one thing that gives, you know, those that are power the, the opportunity to complain and then to actually try to shut you down. So, I mean, I, I think for an industry that's trying to take off, um, they should applaud oversight. Yes, exactly. They they should be wanting this themselves because who knows with those heavy metals or toxins that are who knows with what's happening with those toxins and heavy metals, what the outcome will be in the long run. You know, um, if it's someone that has autoimmune issues and they're using some kind of product that wasn't properly flushed out from their fertilizers or even sometimes pesticides, that can put a hindrance on their uh, opportunity to get better or even be even worse outcome, you know, death or something. And that's puts a bad name onto the brand, onto the products that were being used, even the whole industry. So we definitely need to be working on this change for sure. Yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that people don't understand is that, you know, uh, the hemp plant is a natural, you know, uh, um, kind of a strainer for soil. It literally leaches up out of the soil, almost all contaminants up into the plant. And so if you start with a dirty plant and you're trying to process that in a dirty way, and then they're going to tell me that you were able to extract all of the, you know, the, the deleterious, you know, end product or stuff out of there. I just don't buy it. So, yeah, I mean, that, that's a good initiative. And, and again, I, the fact that you've got so much pushback from the industry just doesn't make sense to me. Yeah, I mean, I'm not surprised by it. It's just going to take some time and patience and education and understanding and communicating to be able to get this understanding that we want to get with them. And to add to the point that you were just bringing up with the toxins coming through this plant by it sucking it up. You know, I have a friend that was born in Chernobyl, which, you know, had the nuclear explosion. And they're using and, hemp to clean the soil there. Yeah. And once that hemp extracts it, you can actually make hempcrete and build houses with that. And it just stays in there and it doesn't come out of it. It's a benefit for this plant and us. Well, you know, but the thing about that is, though, is that, again, from a radioactive standpoint, I'm not necessarily sure I would want to live in a house that is built out of bricks that are radioactive to be put in. However, you know, they, what they should do is is leach that out of the soil and then just destroy the hemp. And you got to be very careful with destroying it because if you burn it, that means you release those, you know, radioactive toxins into the atmosphere. So it'd be better if they just buried it. But uh, a lot of people don't know that that's, you know, for thousands of years, we've used hemp to actually revitalize the soil because after, you know, the, hundreds of years ago, um, you know, farmers would, you know, plant, you know, three seasons of crops and then plant a season of hemp. And then you grind that back up into the soil and start all over again because they knew that they were leaching the toxins about the soil. Are you working on any other projects right now? So those are the main priority. I mean, I don't want to add too much on. And as you get into this industry, there's so many opportunities that you just want to jump on. 
and it could stretch out your bandwidth and cause you to not actually focus on the real projects that you should be focusing on. And you really need to focus on one, two, maybe top three, don't go beyond that because that is something that is very common in this industry. But yeah, those are the, the projects. I have the Margawana brand coming out, uh, distributing content, video content. And then that's gonna be plugged into the Fido Endo Connection podcast. That's gonna be a video series like Bill Nye the Science Guy. And then yeah, Illinois Normal is doing some education in conjunction with it all. And if you had to put on your crystal ball and think about what's coming for the cannabis industry in the next year or two, what would you say? Oh man, I cannot wait. And it's gonna happen, I already know. This is gonna be a lifestyle part of our culture. It's, it's gonna have more consumption lounges, uh, social clubs, and just being accepted everywhere. We just need to share these stories to, to get the masses to understand what's really behind this plant. Well, I mean, I think when you take a look at the bill that was passed or that is passing in the state of New York, they have set it up so that there will be consumption lounges. There will be social lounges where there won't be any alcohol served, but they are literally looking at the plant as an opportunity you know, changing the way that most states have done this from the ground up, because most places don't allow you to consume on premises. These are allowing consumptions, you know, licenses right there in their original bill. So I think you might be right about that. But what do you think is going to happen nationally? Nationally? So three months ago, I was very hopeful that we're going to see some big, impactful changes instantly. But as things have developed with this new leadership, I'm kind of taking a backseat again and thinking that this is not a priority and Biden has already explicitly shared that it's not a priority for him. So, and, and also the fact that the white house has been firing people who have has shown a history of cannabis use. I think that that should send a ripple effect throughout the entire industry. Exactly. That's, that's exactly what hit hard. Um, I have a feeling, you know, maybe four years down the line when the next term is coming out, maybe things are going to change then. So Within the next four years, I feel like things are going to be changing for us all. Well, yeah, I, I would think that, you know, this president, would, if they don't make, uh, you know, right on their promise that they would do something in the first hundred days, um, I think that he may find that the pushback um, by any candidate that runs against them that says that we're finally going to correct the issues that, um, you know, this administration said it was going to correct and never did. I think you might find this administration changing its tune very, very quickly. Well, I'm very hopeful because I, I think I was listening to your Redman conversation and um, I just happened to be at Clubhouse just before and you were talking about how these private prisons, they're profit prisons and they it's a modern day enslavement. And that's exactly the conversation that was happening on Clubhouse. It's how do we amend that? How do we fix that? Because that's the biggest issue that we have, they are trying to stuff people in there so that they can benefit and make money off of them, off the backs of them. So well, it's, yeah, and it's, it was done for racist reasons. When you look back over time and realize that since 1937, almost 80% of all the cannabis arrests in America had been of people of color. So this was not just a, when I call it an enslavement tool, it was the fact that, you know, we had the Emancipation Declaration that the uh, uh, proclamation, the Emancipation Proclamation that freed the slaves, but there was so much pushback on the fact that there were free slaves and free people of color walking around that they decided, let's figure out a way to, you know, start slavery again, but just do it in a different way. 
and then make money off of it. It's enraging that this is still happening in the 21st century, but it's it's being cloaked as a good thing for society and people don't understand what the real picture is. Just the same as with the Section 8. I, I know for a fact that there's um, politicians that make money off of Section 8. They don't want you to get off that Section 8. They want you to stay in. It was a, a big jump and so hard for me and my family to be finally able to come out of that. And I haven't heard many stories of people coming out of Section 8. And I want to be able to change that. Absolutely. Well, thank you so much, Margot, for being a part of Let's Be Blunt today. I, I will applaud you for all your efforts and all that you do. Um, you know, you always have a home here. Keep us, you know, abreast of what changes are happening in Illinois. And uh, let us know um, how you're doing, how the laws are changing. And if anything we can do to help you, let us know. Thank you, Montel, so much for having me. And I will definitely be taking you up on all those offers. Thank you. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, make sure you tune into the next Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Thanks for joining me on Let's Be Blunt with Montel. Please make sure you're subscribed and hit the bell to be notified when new episodes post each week. We'd love to hear your feedback also, so please send us your comments.